0: I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. Santa Claus was my Uber driver last night. Picked me up at the airport after a flight. Had his red bill. I gotta let this one go.
1: It's too good. It is too good.
0: a little stir crazy, and I just got to get out.
1: All right, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's a great opening. That is a good one. And you know what? I had an Uber driver over this past weekend that was absolutely phenomenal from what I'm told, but when I, I don't remember the ride home. It was a Saturday night holiday party. Oh, those always get you. And all I remember is getting out of the Uber and standing there for like three seconds and being like, I can't walk. <laughs> 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 and I'm sure the lovely Megan helped you get
0: home. She did. Took she your did. shoes off and it, tucked you in. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Oh, that's sweet. So good. Yeah. So if I, <laughs> if my math is correct, and if producer Sean will overachieve just a little bit, this is in fact our Christmas episode.
0: It is our Christmas episode, and uh, here at the Geoholics, we will get this one out. So all of those people that are waiting for a good Christmas day episode, it will <laughs> that's be that's out. It. And ready when by the time Santa Claus has dropped off his last gifts.
1: Indeed, indeed. So on that note, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays.
0: Happy holidays. I hope that
1: addresses everything.
0: Oh, I hope so.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And everything in between, right?
1: I am in an exceptionally good mood this evening. Well, that's good. I have my my survey socks on. Unfortunately, we don't have video, so I can't show you. But I have my survey theme socks on. I have my contoured theme belt on. All survey. And one of my young surveyors this, this past week found his first section corner. Oh yes. It was yes. a big deal. I,
0: yeah, he was in, he was in the office today. Super excited about that. That's <laughs> yes. a good,
1: that's a big deal. Cool. It is a big deal. And he was so excited. It's great. I just love, I just
0: love loved, I just the, the, the elation on his face when he was telling me about it. And yeah. I'm like,
1: man, that is so cool. cool.
0: <laughs> More cool of how he excited he was about you it. You
1: know what? Now he's hooked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in. definitely he going to be a is surveyor. in. No doubt about it. What's new with you, Sean?
0: Oh, not a whole lot. You know, typical Sean. It's four days until Christmas and I've done just about zero Christmas shopping. So I know
1: you shop for your wife because I was looking over your shoulder when you're on the Internet doing your thing. Blah, I, well, blah, blah. I did.
0: I did. The, the, the big important mm-hmm. gift for my wife is here. So at this point, it's all stocking stuffers and all the little things. So that you guys do
1: stockings. Oh, yes, absolutely. That yes. is the biggest thing in our house every uh, single year. The
0: uh, the other thing that I do that not a lot of people do, but every Christmas Eve, I take my daughter and we go to the mall and fight the masses and go Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve. Really? Oh, yes. It, it, to me, it's a little slice of Americana that mm. you just have to experience. And my, uh, you know, I come from a a uh, procrastinating family. So (laughs) I have always done this with my father. We would always go out and get last minute gifts and just the sheer desperation of just (laughs) people just finding any old piece of crap and justifying how it would be a great gift and buying it to me is just an amazing
1: experience. And I'm passing that on to my daughter. That is so good. So on that note, I have to ask, because we did this with uh, my girls when they were really young. Um, Black Friday. Did you do that as well? So it's like, like uh, midnight. No, Everybody we, we, rushes I, out to the I, stores. I, I don't
0: do the Black Friday thing. No. I do the, more the Christmas Eve. The evening. Christmas Eve, and it's like basically whatever's left. <laughs> oh man, is what's going to be in the stocking and under the tree <laughs> for my wife.
1: We also have uh, Doctor Nick with us this evening as our guest co-host. Doctor Nick, how are you, buddy? Doing great. How's it going, y'all? Doing well. Doctor Nick, where, where are you right yeah, now? Yeah, where are you? You're traveling. Where are you at?
2: Yeah, I had a kind of a semi emergency trip home, uh, to, to see the family. You know, it's the holidays and yeah. uh parents are getting a little bit older and so just wanna sure. wanna get home and, and spend some time with them and but but real quick, so many things that y'all were just talking about got got my brain going everywhere. So first off Sugar, you must have watched Turbo Man way too much. What was that? Like Death to Halls or whatever, or the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger as a oh, kid? Where yes. you're trying to get the Turbo Man on the day of Christmas and it's just this crazy story. <laughs> yes, Turbo yes, man. Uh, absolutely. That <laughs> might be
1: your new nickname. Suga Turbo Man.
2: <laughs> Sugar uh, Tur- Turbo man. <laughs> Well, and then and then you know, Kent, you're talking about contours on your belt, and I'm thinking, man, I hope there's not too many contour lines. You, you know, like no, you're the more a lot of elevational relief
0: if uh, if it's the, going around your belt.
1: The more contour lines, the better. Trust me. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs>
1: Let that sink in.
0: Well, it's more of like opening up a new belt hole after the holidays oh. to uh, allow some relief.
1: Yeah. Spread those contour lines Spread out a little bit. Spread those contour lines out. There was a sinkhole in the, in the contour. There was uh, definitely
0: a sinkhole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. All right. Well, Nick, thanks for joining us. Appreciate that. Uh, next week is one of my favorite episodes of the year. This yeah, will be our yeah. third rendition of this, but it's the year in review episode. Um, all I can say is... Stay tuned, because there's going to be a bunch of special guests. It's going to be an absolute blast, and I can't wait for it. And, of course, we're going to be doing our drawing on that day Yes, for a bunch of amazing gifts that have been donated by our friends of the program. Thank you to them. Uh, Very, very generous. And, uh, again, just can't thank everybody enough for their support throughout the year and, of course, this uh, this event. Uh, It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. All right. Tell us about that opening number there, Sean.
0: Oh, this is a different one for me. So um, that was... Mr. Lee Bryce, a song, believe it or not, called Santa Was My Uber Driver.
1: I think Santa Was My Uber Driver last Saturday.
0: Uh, I think he was. Uh, so when curb records recording artist Lee Bryce, isn't selling out arenas, writing and recording songs or building new brands like American born whiskey, which we need to try. Uh, you'll find the family man with his wife, Sarah, two young boys and a daughter. Meanwhile, with over 3 billion on demand streams and over 3.6 mm, wow. billion spins on Pandora. Jeez. Bryce continues to enjoy massive success on country radio, digital streaming services and on the road. He recently reached, reached number one on country radio with memory. I don't mess with Mm. one of the most played country artists of all time on Pandora. He was the second country artist behind Keith urban to receive the Pandora billionaire plaque.
1: Unbelievable. Insane. I just just now heard of this guy. I've heard this song before. I just didn't know this. I don't know if you knew this or not. I just found this out because all of a sudden I'm a Lee Bryce fan. Um, Obviously, the Super Bowl here is here in Phoenix this, oh, one, yeah. this year. Big week. That week is going to be absolutely freaking insane. Oh,
0: insane. With the open, With and, the open oh, and everything. With the open and everything.
1: So, um, Friday night, Lee Bryce is playing a free show at Hans Park. Oh, really? Yes. I think we should go. Uh Okay.
0: I, it's going to be a ton take, of fun. Just
2: take an Uber. Just take an Uber, Ken. Yeah. 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 An and request <laughs> Santa <laughs> yeah. as your driver. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get run over by a reindeer.
1: Yeah. That's right. Or yeah. Sean. Oh, or Sean. <laughs> or But on that note, uh, producer Sean, do you have a favorite Christmas song?
0: Oh, man, I do. And it's going to sound kind of corny, but I, I really like the – Little Drummer Boy.
1: Dude, that's my favorite. No way. I swear to God. It's always been my favorite Christmas song. <laughs> really? Yes. Little Drummer Boy is my favorite yes. Christmas song. It's my dad's favorite Christmas song. It's my favorite Christmas song. I wow. That's totally not Little planned, but that that
0: I, I thought it was weird, but I guess I'm not alone.
1: No, you're not alone. Uh, how about you? It, Is it the David Bowie? Uh, the, 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 yeah, yeah, that's a great version. That,
0: that's the version that I like the best. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Dr. Nick, how about you? Do you have a favorite Christmas song?
2: Not song album. I'm a huge fan. Been listening to it my entire life, almost. But a uh, Mannheim Steamroller. Oh,
1: um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah I grew dead. up, grew up there. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff for sure. Um, second favorite, come all ye faithful. Oh. Yeah, I'm not with you on that one. No, for obvious yeah. reasons. Yeah. All Seriously. right, here we are in the Diamondback Land Studio. Good to be here. As always. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, where in the world is Trent? That's that's like a game at this point. And uh, Trent spent the weekend in Buffalo, apparently, this past weekend. Okay. Went to a Buffalo Bills game, guys weekend, blah, blah, blah. And uh, at the end of it all, I'm just like, it's good to be Trent.
0: It really is. I'm yeah. interested to see how the uh, the... The high school counselor conference Huge, thing went massive. Uh,
1: we got to follow up with him on that.
0: Yeah, we need. We'll to have him up
1: on early next year, of course, as a mm-hmm. guest, and I'm sure he'll download us from all his adventures from this past year.
0: And I'm sure the Get Kids Into Survey is now even bigger, more popular than it
1: was last week. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure, you're right. So, all right, uh, time for, gosh, what are we calling it this week? I'm going to call it Producer Sean's Random Subject Matter of the Week. Okay, are you going to choose pop culture or sports this week? what did i do last week sports uh no last week you did pop culture okay uh well, i'll do pop culture again pop culture again okay well you're gonna love this done. this is a slam dunk for you okay so there's this new thing well new to me chat gpt ah yes <laughs> and dr nick is probably gonna want to chime in here at some point oh. uh, this is unfreaking believable shit
0: well, just because I I I showed you a little bit of this this morning,
1: yeah, and all of a sudden it's like I spent half my day today <laughs> sending Cres- my questions to Chat GPT. Well, it was unbelievable. I'm glad, I'm glad you guys listened to the Bad Elf
2: Tech
0: Minute. The yes. Of course TV we do. What
2: was, was on ChatGPT.
0: Yes, exactly,
1: exactly. That's how we first we first knew about it. Okay, I was like, did they not even listen? <laughs> no, we. I, I did listen, but it's taken me this long to get around to it, because you got around to it first, Sean. Mm-hmm. You showed me today. I'm like, what in the hell? So all of a sudden, I'm typing in all these questions. Like, this is unfreaking believable. It's insane. It's right? life changing. So uh, why don't
0: you tell the audience just to uh, real quickly what your experience was, like what it is and what your experience was, and how you think you can be valuable. Oh my
1: goodness, teacher. For, uh, you're turning the tables. Now you're turning the tables on me. I am. Um, I'll am. i, I, I'll, I'll I comment too. I but. am still taking it all in, to be honest with you, because I was sending like questions like, will I live till I'm 75? type thing. <laughs> <laughs> And the responses are freaking hilarious. That's where my mind goes. I started asking like dumb questions, but then I was like, good icebreaker questions for podcast guests. And then it comes up with all this really cool stuff. So right, right. There's so many different directions you can go with this technology. It's incredible. Uh, I would agree.
0: I mean, obviously I have some experience with this, uh, you know, Dr. Nick introduced us to it a couple of weeks ago and I can tell you that it, it, it from what i heard and i don't know if you said it on on your segment or not nick but it went from 0 to a million users in the fastest time that any other online platform has ever done so that alone should tell you everything but i think that we haven't even scratched the surface no. what i really like is the and what it, the first thing that came to my mind is when you're at work or doing really anything and yep. you're you have a task to do and you're staring at that blank yes. You know, digital yes. piece of paper, and like, yep. where do I start with this letter, or where do I start with this memo, or this email, or how do I organize my thoughts? And you type in something like, you know, how do I write this, you know, whatever it is, or how do I do this? Yep. And it will spit out great content that obviously it's a, some it's AI, it's coming from the internet, but man, it gets you really dialed into getting to where you want to go. Yeah.
1: Well, it's just first thought though. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And it pulls That's all the
0: resources of yeah. the entire internet mm-hmm. summarized for you in a
1: platform in and in, in a summary that you can really take, Oh man, I can do something with that. Absolutely. I even typed in like, what does a land surveyor do? Right. And just like the description that came up, I was pleasantly surprised. It was pretty amazing. And I think you mentioned the fact that you did something like, uh, you know, write a geotechnical report. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it, populated it populated a, lot of information. a
0: very exact outline of what a geotechnical report should do and what's in it and <laughs> I, I think we've just scratched the surface so you don't have to be smart it, anymore
2: it can literally write code
0: so you can say Are you I serious? Need to write yeah. a function and yeah I need
2: to write a function oh in Python God. that takes two tables and merges the tables and does X y and z and it will write you copy and paste code you can just plug into whatever <sighs> you want to do it's it's absolutely nuts. and I would love to hear our guests uh, opinion on, I'm sure uh, Dr. Kirsty's also heard about it, so maybe maybe we come back to chat, Oh, absolutely. will come back to it,
1: for him. sure. For absolutely. Alright, good stuff. Um, but I do have to ask you a sports-related question. Oh, sure, sure. sure. If you had a chance to go see um, Tom Brady this weekend, play the Cardinals, assuming it's probably his last game in Arizona, would you go? No. I mean, if I got invited, I would go, but... You wouldn't pay.
0: I I would not take, a, take my own initiative to go and see Tom Brady.
1: Why? Because you just don't like him, or I mean, I, I personally
0: don't have that much of an opinion, but
1: yeah,
0: it it his, you know, okay, so he's the goat, obviously, the greatest of all so time. We can agree on so that. We can agree on that. Okay, he does not have the goat appeal as a Michael Jordan or you know debatable point. LeBron James yeah. or debatable maybe I don't yeah. know who the greatest of all time baseball player is, but yep. he just like when Barry Bonds played the Diamondbacks back when he was going through that yeah. crazy run. Yep. I felt like, man, I just needed to be in the building so I can see a Barry Bonds home run. Yeah. Same thing if if Michael Jordan or somebody like that. I just got to go see him. I don't have that. I don't need to go see Tom Brady throw a touchdown
1: pass. Have you seen him, though? Yes, I have. Okay, so if you hadn't seen him before. Probably wouldn't change. Really? really? Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Interesting.
0: Like if Tiger Woods decided to play the Phoenix Open, yep. I would be there not even in the grandstand having parties. I would be following him around hole by hole oh, by at the putting green. Yeah. I mean, just because you, you're not get, you're going to miss that opportunity. Yeah. I, and I think it could be the same for Tom Brady. I just don't feel the same. It's just not there. And interesting. And I think it's a matter of overexposure. I mm, think he's just been so overexposure. Much, it's just I love that. I just I'm just a little tired of hearing about. Tom Brady yep. and Gate and Giselle yep. and mm, his new face or his old face or anything else. I'm, I'm just, yeah. you know, yeah. he's great. I, I can admit that, but mm. I don't feel compelled to yeah. drive out to Glendale. To do. I,
1: I like the overexposure thing. I think that plays a huge role right here. Good stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Liqu- uh, time for this week's Liquid Death's Weekly Words of Wisdom. So <clears throat> here we go. Changing jobs frequently can be scary. But if you can manage it strategically, it can most definitely work out in your favor. Okay. Five reasons to change jobs frequently. Ooh. Hmm. Right. And here's why, you know, I was thinking about this because I look at my own personal resume and there was, this, there was a period in my career where like every three or four years I was changing jobs. Sure. Right. So I'm like, hmm, does that make me a bad person or does that make me a good person? Hmm. So mm-hmm. I came across this article, five reasons to change jobs frequently. Uh, number one, it broadens your skill set. It makes you more rounded, right? Because you're getting all these different experiences and different mm-hmm. companies and uh, different cultures, this and that. Uh, it gives you negotiating power because it gives you a better understanding of your market value. Um, it gives you exposure to new industries and roles. You know different industries, different certifications that are available. I mean, you know, coming to work for Alta, you know, getting exposed to you know the geotech side of things and all these different things that I wasn't even aware of existed. To be honest with you, um, improved long-term job satisfaction because I am one of these type of people that short attention span. Right? Clearly, I always. <laughs> Not debatable, (laughs) not debatable. So it's like you know, I if I'm not challenged, I get fucking bored, and I'm like, okay, what I got to do now? Because I need to be challenged constantly. And then, of course, the obvious one is it expands your network, especially if you don't if you don't burn any bridges. Mm -hmm. It expands your network, and it just makes you that much more valuable.
0: Uh, Were those words of wisdom? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I I think that. The it's idea not behind, it's just, not I, I think, the idea of, <laughs> of changing jobs ha- is morphing, changing. Huh? Yeah. Still to this day, I th- it used to be, you know, Ooh. if there's more than one every two years, you're, and now it's kind of normal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought about this for for a little bit, and the the idea that. Everyone has about a, about a five year window of where they like somebody or not, and it's a true like mm. what's it like within the first five years your yeah. marriage will work out or something. So and and seven uh, year itch they yeah, say. Yeah, and I think it's the same thing with I a, think with in a careers job. it's
1: like the five year itch
0: maybe. Yeah, it's got to be the five year itch, and yeah. it usually goes in like five year windows, and yeah. anything inside of that is probably a little hoppy. And anything more than that, you may not be aggressive enough or confident enough to go out and see what's going on. Right, right.
1: Yeah, but really interesting stuff. Yeah. I I
0: think the dynamic and the uh, stigma of changing jobs is changing much more than it was, or now much more than it was before. No question.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, let's move on. Uh, Let's get to our guests. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Is now the time?
0: Oh man, I, I, I'm sure he's been itching to, to chime in on all those those topics, but
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll give him a chance here. a minute. so I've been looking forward to this episode for quite some time. Um, it's taken us a while to get it on the books and on the schedule, on all of our respective schedules. This well, evening, most
0: importantly, his because yeah. he is a, is a pretty pretty awesome important person. So. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So this evening or this evening? I guess it is this evening. It's this evening. Yeah. I'm so confused because last week uh, it was this morning.
0: Well, keep in mind it is the shortest day of the year today. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. today God. is the winter solstice. Thank It is God. the shortest day of the year, so you blink and it's nighttime.
1: Because I have such a hard time getting up in the morning.
0: Well, right I can now. tell you every
1: day from now will be a little longer. Oh, thank God. All right. Well, let's move on. This uh, the, We have uh, Joseph Kersky with us this evening. And uh, real quick, a little bit about Joseph before we loop him in here. He was born in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, he attended Colorado University and Kansas University. Uh, on his free time, he loves to explore landscapes. <laughs> he composes geo songs. I've watched some videos. They're pretty good. And, of course, he loves to teach, and, uh, and, and, and he loves to write. Uh, he's a ge- geographer, educator, GIS professional, and he currently uh, works at Esri. And interesting fact, he has worked in all four sectors of society. We're going to get to that here in just a second, because right I now am, you're like, what I are am, the four sectors of the four sectors And I want to hear more about it. Absolutely. Joseph, hey, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks so much for being here.
3: Oh, much appreciated. It's good to see you all and connect with your listening audience.
1: Yeah, this is great. Like I said, it's been a, while to, uh, you know, been a while coming for us to get you on here. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time to be here. Uh, so this is the time where we do the Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. Mm-hmm. So this is a question that nobody is aware of. Um, and I think this is a question that Sean generated from his chat GPT today. Oh, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a good one. <laughs> yeah. So here we go, Joseph. If you had to watch one movie, one movie only for the rest of your life, what would that movie be?
3: Wow, you you folks didn't prepare me for that. that uh, that's that's on purpose. Point. <laughs> that's a good, probably castaway. Oh, oh, Tom Hanks, because I it's so imagine. geographical. You know, in in my mind, and you, you folks and the listening audience can probably relate. You're thinking, where exactly was this island? You know, you're thinking yeah. Saipan, mm-hmm. Western Samoa, yep. Tahiti, based on where he was bound, and so you're thinking about it in a spatial context.
0: Uh, that's a really good answer. And uh-huh. I'm curious just, uh, and I'm may- maybe because that's one of your, you know, one of your favorite movies, like, is there a circle out there that is devoted just to finding where this island might be and mm. based on all the clues. And is there like a, 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 yep. a subreddit out there that just fo- goes back and forth and they think they've identified it? Yeah, you're
3: talking about buffer zones and absolutely uh, proximity uh, zones and so on. Yep, that's a very good question. I don't know, but uh, it is a very spatial kind of a uh, a movie for sure. So uh, not uh, uh, just space, but it's a temporal thing, right? The whole idea was that he was very bound on time, mm -hmm. right? And then he's on this island and suddenly he has all the time in the world to break coconuts and hunt. Uh, you know, uh, yay, uh, crab yay. and and so on. Wilson. Well, son, yeah, exactly. Well, I really like that aspect. So. And,
0: and not a lot of people think about that part of the movie, but you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's the you know part of what you're supposed to get out of it. But it went from everything was in this five minutes period, and this you know everything was on a schedule, and then a yeah. guy like that had to trend you know, got dropped yep. into a place where he didn't even know what time it was or there was no schedule. And the yeah. the dynamic there, I think, goes unsaid as much. Seriously. I'm just curious, jo- Joseph, where do you think that island was?
3: Well, it has to be in the Southwest, Southwest Pacific hmm. somewhere. Vanuatu, you know, uh, Saipan, somewhere in there. Also, you know, on a related note, I, I suspect that all of your listeners are the same kind of folks listening to this because they're thinking you know, where about the where question. And also, they're probably the people that when they're reading like a fantasy novel and there's a there's a, a map in the front. Yep.
0: Oh, yeah. They they're always, always flipping flip back into they're always <laughs> flipping
3: to the map, seeing where the where the characters are. It doesn't have to be a fantasy novel, right? It could be any novel, but they're, if there's a map, they're always flipping <laughs> to the either digitally or with a physical paper book. They're phys, they're they're flipping to the map, right? Yeah, I, I was always everybody. that guy that
0: yeah, I, I, I i didn't even want to read as much as as soon as I got enough information, I would go back to the map so I yeah. could start piecing together what's going on because I visualized better on the map than the words on the page. Then I just started visualizing back to the map and I just go back there.
1: You should have been a surveyor. Clearly, exactly. should have been. Yeah, like I, I did take
0: the wrong but path. But I do
1: think this is really interesting because I think it tells you a lot about people's personality. So, of course, we're going to ask everybody the same question. How about you, Sean? If you had to watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? No other uh, movie. Just one movie.
0: One movie. Man. That's a that's a really tough one. It's a tough one. Um I would probably go the first thing that comes to my mind is Jason and the Argonauts.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: For some reason I always really liked it. And when I was a kid, and because my dad was into it, and every time I see it, like I like the you know, mythology kind of stuff and yep. and uh, the old stories and I don't know. It's just one of those it's, things it's, I can never, never get tired of watching.
1: This is so telling. Oh my god. <laughs> Wait to you get around to me. This is gonna be fucking hilarious. <laughs> Doctor Nick, how about you, man?
2: I was gonna say every time I turn the T V on I feel like it's the blind side and for some reason I still watch it. I don't know why, but That's maybe a good movie. maybe maybe that but no, probably Christmas story. I don't know. I love Christmas. Oh yeah, story yeah, yeah! That. Like
1: the old school of Christmas. It's a Christmas, is story, Christmas yeah. episode. So. Ralphie and yeah, you know all that. One. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, up for me, uh, Kent. <laughs> Step Brothers. <laughs> <Anytime>. <laughs> touch my drum set. Touch Any, my drum set. Anytime Step Brothers is on, I will sit there, stop anything I'm doing, and I will freaking watch it. <laughs> and you know what? Ford versus Ferrari, too. That's a really good
0: one. I, uh, that's the Love new that one movie. that uh, my, wife, my wife says that Ford versus Ferrari is my new 42. Because I used to watch the movie 42, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, Jackie yeah. Robinson. I, I'm yep. big on, like, the sports and biopic yep. stuff. And now every time Ford versus Ferrari comes
1: on, I, ha- I have to watch it. It's like the bio. St-
0: like, I don't mm, know. That, that's so cool. Good.
1: So good. Awesome. Well, appreciate that. All great answers. Uh, Let's, let's get to know Joseph a little bit more. So Joseph, you grew up in Grand Junction, Colorado, and there was something in your bio, and hopefully I'm not missing the target here, but was there, did you, did you live in a motel part of your life? What's going on here?
3: Yes. Well, question for you all and the listeners, you've probably stayed in a motel at some point in your lives where you know that there's a family living behind the office in, in an apartment. Oh, so that's the kind that my folks bought. My mom was also a school teacher. Yeah. Uh, yay, fifth grade, uh, yeah. but my folks owned the motel and we, stay, we lived in an apartment in Interesting. the facility. So instead of a f- front yard, I had a parking lot. <laughs> Which was kind of cool. I was the only one, you know, in my circle of friends that had uh, a soda machine, yeah, an ice machine, so a parking lot. Yeah, it had the it cleanest a, sheets in great, school. It was a great childhood. It really was. It really taught us uh, uh, several things that we could get into. What well, one yeah. is hard work, for mm. sure. Oh, yeah. That did, is hard work. Did the motel yep. have a pool? We did not
1: have a pool. Mm. No. Th- I'll, my mind goes to Schitt's Creek. <laughs> yes, it does. But I love Shit's Creek, and it just made me think of Shit's Creek. Uh, that's right?
0: that's actually right right in line with what I pictured was. Uh, you know, yeah. I, no offense to Joseph, but I just picture a rundown motel is where <laughs> where you grow up, not a not a super fancy one. So oh, I'm that's assuming so that's how it was. I'm, I'm I'm sure it was it was awesome and clean and everything, but it's that that local you know small it was a kind
3: locally of, owned you got to meet so many interesting people it was clean and uh you know we we all were fed and clothed yeah. so uh <laughs> you know my folks worked hard uh, but we we survived yeah. it wasn't uh lucrative but it was a, a chance for them to do something yeah. independent, and I really admire them for doing it.
1: Yeah, and you oh, mentioned absolutely. you mentioned the idea about uh, you know hard work, and I'm so I'm, I'm assuming that you grew up in the the business per se, and uh, you know got to a point as you got older to where you could help you know help your parents and that type thing. So I mean, it's amazing what develops our values at uh, at such a young mm-hmm. age, right?
3: Right. We did not have a housekeeper on the weekend. So it was our family that cleaned all the rooms, cleaned all the bathrooms, stocked all the coffee, yep. et cetera. Yep. yep. So I, I just definitely. have to ask them,
2: uh, what's the craziest thing you guys ever came across? Uh, oh, in yeah. Somebody's room. I can only well, imagine that some weird stuff has popped up over the years.
3: Uh, you know, I remember my dad getting upset when people would clean their motorcycles with the towels. Oh, okay. um, but as kids, <laughs> okay. we were kind of shielded from some of the weird stuff that went on. Uh, remember, uh, this was in the 20th century. It was a bit simpler times. By and large, people were very kind. And actually, you know, on, on, a related, on a related note, one of your other questions is going to be, how did you get interested in geography? So I'll just say right now, it was meeting people from all over the world mm. that would stay there and finding out about their stories so that made me think about, wow, I've never been there. What's it like there? You know, And that really started my whole love of geography, space, place, and meeting people.
0: So I'm just curious, like in the lobby of the motel, did you have that little display thing where it was like, here's all the pamphlets of all the cool stuff to do around here? And every single one of them had a map in there. It was Western Colorado.
3: So, you know, my backyard was the Colorado National Monument and I had the Grand Mesa on the other side. I had the book cliffs, which is a sandstone shale kind of combination. So it was a great location to grow up. Lots of exploration, getting out there on the landscape. But, yes, we had those brochures and postcards and things like that. Absolutely. It's awesome. It's awesome. Does it Uh, it
2: still exist today, Joseph? Is it still there? The building
3: is still there. It is one of those that's been parceled out into small businesses, like, you know, an insurance company will have a few rooms, et cetera. So, sadly, it's not in its former glory. But uh, others, you know, there's a little bit of a preservation movement for those things. And, uh, you know, you see those of Tucumcari, New Mexico, the Swallow Mm. Inn is still there and There's, there's some that are still hanging on. Absolutely.
0: Well, and I think there's more of a demand or I think the demand for that is increasing just because I think more people would like to have a more authentic stay and they don't want to go to the concierge that has no idea. They'd like to go to the local people that like, Hey, here's the good trails or here. You should really check out that. And not just what their sponsors tell them to, to go see. So the concierge. The concierge. Yes, that's correct. <laughs>
3: well, True. well uh, I think more in terms of local food, there is a move. There has been a movement as we know about, okay, I'm going to seek out the local cafe, the local diner. Yeah. Um, you know, n- not that I'm completely anti-chain, but yeah, I- and it has trickled down a little bit into lodging, but m- it seems like it's more on the, on the cafes and the restaurant side of things, but yes, I- I'm r- right with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Perfect segue. Um, kinda so you, you you work at Esri correct yes so talk yes ab- I'm on
3: the education team here uh, education
1: so, team at Esri talk about um, the Esri culture just a little bit
3: sure uh,
1: the education
3: team that I'm on is the team that supports educators and students so there's a lot of people in education at esri people that teach classes for transportation utilities natural resource managers etc so that's a larger group My group is a smaller group. We're very energetic, we've got about 15 people, but we serve schools, libraries, museums, universities, community colleges, technical colleges, tribal colleges. So the faculty, students, deans, provosts, and also facility managers at those locations, campus facilities, campus safety, uh, infrastructure, uh, and so on. So the, the culture is very much Outwardly focused is what can we do to help those people in education be successful with geotechnology, spatial thinking, inquiry, problem based learning. We're all educators, really, on the team. So we're very passionate about education, as I know you all are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be operating this podcast. Oh, <laughs> believe me, yes, we
1: are. Yeah. And you know what? It's such a small, like, fraternity of of folks in the GIS world, because it was interesting to me before we started recording, um, you know, uh, Joseph, you were talking to to Dr. Nick, of course, and you're like, oh, you know, I think I know Danielle, your wife, we met before this and that. And it's just amazing to me what the GIS community, uh, is all about. Indeed. Uh, I think many, uh...
3: I would say just about everyone in GIS is sort of a a geo-education evangelist, right? You Mm, sit by mm, someone on the airplane, you're in the stairwell, you're at the public library, whatever. Oh, what kind of field? Well, let me tell you about GIS. There's, there's, I've never actually met anybody that's not like really excited about it. And people in the other sectors, like, why do you folks get so excited? Isn't it just maps? No, (laughs) no. Let me tell you why it's not just maps. So I think everyone has this sort of element of, of wanting to tell others. And so in some ways, they're all, everyone in geotechnology is is an educator in some way, right? They're outreaching to their local school. They teach adjunct at a community college, whatever, or they're teaching their fellow employees about the wonders, the glories of geotechnology.
0: And, and do you think that's because no matter who you meet or what they do, you can find some relation to geotechnology and, and, and GIS into every aspect of what, just about everybody does. The big question is, have you found anybody that you can't relate mm, GIS to? Great question.
3: Uh, no, actually. Uh, good question. It's it's literally, as, as we all know, from archaeology to zoology and everything in between. Everybody is asking mm. the whys of where question, or they will be in the not too distant future. They're going to have to ask the whys of where question to build a resiliency, sustainability plan for their organization and, right. and lots of other reasons. So... I actually asked, I asked this question in most of my workshops, and that is, did you like maps as a kid, and do you like maps now? I know that GIS is a lot more than maps, but I usually start there. And in all of those workshops over all these decades, I only had one person in a workshop say, no, I don't like maps. And I said, okay, but maybe by the end of the workshop, you'll appreciate the value of them, especially in teaching and learning. Yeah, sure. And they did. They did. They came around and said, OK, I see the value. They're not just reference documents, they're analytical tools. And I'm like, exactly. They're analytical tools to help solve problems. Not just where is Arizona, right? Where is Kazakhstan? It, it, they're why things are where they are. So absolutely. All, all disciplines in all sectors of society, there's some sort of touch point that I think we can all find to start the conversation. I love
1: that, uh, archaeology to zoology. That, 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 that's, that, <laughs> I, I that's made good. out of it. <laughs> I made note <laughs> of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am right. going to use that, no doubt. And it's so interesting because I just talked to a gentleman today who reached out wanting to be a guest on a future show. Uh, who is a uh, he's, he's, he's a local guy. And what they're doing is they are planting trees in areas where there's not trees. And there's hmm. like these heat islands, right? And it's amazing how they're using GIS to, you know, map the trees, map the temperature differential in those Mm areas where multiple trees are, this and that. And it's unbelievable how GIS is playing a role in essentially everything we do. It really is.
3: True. Go go ahead. No, go go
1: ahead. Well, I was
3: just going to say, and please build on this. That it, it's sort of like an elevator, you know. You it um, you, you get in there, you punch buttons. You really don't think about the technology behind it. GIS, like you're saying, is is really enabling society to function, right? The yeah. the the power that we're using right now for the podcast, right? The electric company is using GIS. The the Uber, the the del- package delivery, the supply chain. How did you get your food yesterday? It was all delivered through the wonders of GIS. I mean, it really is behind every single thing. It's just it's. Maybe because it's been so successful that people, many people, aren't realizing that geotechnology really does empower all of these things
1: to happen. Santa uses GIS. It's like uh, the good list and the bad list. You
0: can track them right now. Absolutely. And I think that isn't that the definition of something that is truly successful is Mm. it comes along and then people are using it so Frequently, and so they're so dependent on it, they don't even realize they are. It's just so embedded in their lives. Like that's actually that's how you can tell something really is going, yes. Like mm-hmm. it has hit it. If if half the country is using it and don't even know what it is.
2: Absolutely, I think it's really fascinating that GIS. You know, if you if you all the different industries in the world, there's not many uh, things like GIS that can really cross all the boundaries, right? So. I can find something um, to relate with to somebody who does zoology. I can find something to relate with somebody who does construction management yep. or safety or hunting or military defense. And we have this kind of center of the, co- the wheel, right? Like the cog is GIS and it's just utilized in so many different places. And so I think it just connects people. Yeah. Whereas, you know, people grow up and they're like, well, I want to be a biologist. Okay. So you go and you learn biology and then you find out there's this thing called GIS and then you know, you could just branch out so much further than that. And again, it's it's t- this tool, and it's so much more than just a tool, but we can relate across kind of industry borders. And I think sometimes we get siloed in industries, and, like, if you're in the medical field, you just think about the medical field, right? Like, what's happening for surveyors is the last thing you're thinking about. But GIS is so uh, immersed, right, mm. in, in, in everything.
0: And we've talked about this before, but uh, for all the bad stuff, the – the the covid epidemic really brought that to the forefront more than a lot of people realized and seeing the maps and all that stuff I think it really mm. just combining what what Nick was just saying with the medical yep. field like people didn't realize that but i have a, i have an important question not important but um i know, you know we got an important question uh, well uh, <laughs> We've got this list of questions and, and we've talked to several GIS people and I hate to interject here, but I want to kind of get ahead of this a little bit. And especially because we have the opportunity with Joseph here, um, what are we not seeing yet or what is in the future that, that GIS still can do that? I mean, we just said it affects everything, but I think our guest has a, has a unique perspective of maybe there's still some more stuff out there that we don't even know where this is going. And I want to go ahead and get there before we go through our normal stuff. Okay, but just
3: tying tying a knot or just uh, summing up what we just talked about, I actually wrote an essay on the very thing that you folks are talking about, and that is Dr. Damien Gessler of Semantic Options gave a keynote that I was attending once. And he said, transformational change is enabled as past technology simplify. So in other words, Mm. like you're saying. well, Can you you say that one more time?
1: That's deep. Go ahead.
3: Transformational uh, transformational change is enabled as past technology simplify. So as GIS has gotten away from being sort of a niche technology that just a few people knew how to use because it was very arduous, right? To actually become a GIS expert. It was a lot of years investment. Not to say that it's simple now, right? The world is still a complex place and there's 8 billion humans modifying the planet and it's an oblate spheroid and all those things that we we talk about. But as GIS has enabled more and more people to use at least aspects of it without becoming immersed in multiple years of, of training, that's where you have um, change. And so uh, I would love that. And I put a link in the chat box. I'm not sure if you have resources that people can... Uh, investigate after the For sure. when they watch the podcast. Oh, yeah, we'll, podcast we'll post it along. Okay, cool. yeah. So anyway, that essay is uh, exactly what you folks are talking about. Okay, coming back to um, Kent or Sean's question. Um, I think th- this might be in- instructive. One of the things that bothers me, to be honest, about GIS, and despite the wonderful, amazing changes and, and transformations that it's gone through, and indeed, one could argue that it's not just survived all these major changes right like from mini computers or mainframes to mini computers to you know pcs to the web and and web apps and, and field tools and so on it's it's thrived through all those things it's actually every time there was a major technological shift uh, GIS has not just survived but thrived it, it's it's grown every time those mm-hmm. things have changed uh, but despite all that it's still rather a sort of a assemblage of of um, Tools that you have to figure out how to use and move forward. Sure, there there are uh, some templates and some workflows that you can kind of plug and play. And I don't want it all to be uh, so easy that you're just okay. I'm a, I've got a water problem. And I'm going to use a water solution to figure it out. I don't want it to be so uh, removing your own brain because GIS has always been a thinker's tool. And yeah, That's what's em- empowering about it is that you're you're engaging. It, it's very dependent on the human. Um, you don't want to just run algorithms. However, it's still this sort of, I got to figure out how to use at least a a, a, a fairly hefty number of tools to be successful. You know, that part tied to the way that the interfaces have evolved. And again, I lo- I'm not pining for the old days. I love the changes, but we're st- we're still not seeing all the potential I think were hindered in part because of the way that these tools are offered in this sort of, you're going into this GIS grocery store and you've got to assemble this eight course meal. Maybe that's an imperfect analogy, but you know what I mean? You've got to yeah. assemble this stuff and to do that, you've got to have, which again is not an entirely bad thing because it's, I want it to be something that people be are thoughtful about using and not just click, click, click. And all my problems are solved. But there's still something about the, the approach that is, I think, hindering more people from using it. Maybe not the, the people that need to know about all these tools and how they work, but the other folks that, hey, I don't have time to become fully immersed in this. I'm solving a business problem. Okay, I've got a supply chain problem and I have two hours to figure this out. And I, I know I need to use some GIS. And now there's business analyst web and some other tools are out there. But I'm I'm thinking about those folks that we want to have them be spatially enabled decision makers. Mm. Ooh. But they're not going to be GIS people, right? They're gonna yep. stay in their supply chain or their insurance risk assessment or whatever they're doing. And they've got a very limited amount of time to do something with GIS, but we want them to use some of the tools and some of the spatial thinking. So that to me is is some of the uncharted Territory. Again, that's kind of an education focus on it, but maybe that's something that some of your other uh, guests haven't said.
1: Absolutely.
0: And uh, I, I, I love the perspective there.
1: Hey, Geoholics, we want to take a second to give a shout out to another one of our amazing friends of the program. This week, we have Trimble Geospatial. Trimble Geospatial provides solutions that allow you to make your mark using high quality, productive workflows and information exchange, driving value for a global and diverse customer base of surveyors, engineering and GIS service companies, governments, utilities, and transportation authorities as well. Trimble's innovative technologies include integrated sensors, field applications, real-time communications, and office software for processing, modeling, and data analytics. Trimble is pioneering the future of data intelligence, converging people, product, and place seamlessly to help you make your mark and leave your legacy. This is known as the Trimble Geospatial Advantage. Find out more at geospatial.trimble.com. So I mentioned something in the, in the uh, introductory bio that you have had the opportunity to work in the four sectors of society. And I know that... Producer Sean over here, his eyebrow raised. Tell us what the four sectors of society are.
3: Oh well, thanks for asking. Uh, I it's it's been a real blessing because I've been in, I'm in private industry now at Esri, correct? Yep. Private company trying its best to serve the global community with tools and data and approaches and so on. So I've got that part. I've also been in nonprofits, so I have. For example, been president of the National Council for Geography Education. I love geography education. So nonprofits, and then academia. I teach adjunct in several different colleges and universities because I love teaching. I love introducing folks to, uh, you know, the the power that this enables them to be super superheroes in in whatever field they go into. It really does give them some powers that they that they do not have otherwise with any other tool out there or any other perspective. Uh, so the academic side and. Uh, On a related note, in in academia, I also do a lot of K-12 primary and secondary school uh, professional development for educators. So, got that component. And then the the last one is government. So, I spent a lot of years, basically from the Cretaceous to the Holocene, at NOAA, the Census Bureau, and U.S. Geological Survey. So, I've got that public service, federal agencies, science and mapping agencies As well, so it's 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 been a real privilege to be in those four major sectors, and it's helped me to articulate that with when I do career workshops with uh, students, mid-career types, and a whole wide variety of people, saying you can make a difference in lots of different sectors of society. And I'm a you know a living example of that. That throughout all of these sectors, the spatial aspect, the spatial thinking, and the geotechnologies has has really helped me to 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 be successful in those different sectors. And so, you know, if I can do it, you can too, is my message to them.
1: Yep. I love that. And the fact that you've had that type of experience, it makes you like uniquely qualified to, um, you know, whether, whether it be, you know, producing, uh, videos or writing, uh, you know, books or what have you. I mean, the fact that you've had that type of experience, uh, puts you in a position that most people aren't in. I mean, have you seen Joseph's bio? It is impressive. It is long. Oh, gracious.
0: Well, I mean, uh, you, you folks are being overly kind. Really, it's uh, the The amount of it's a privilege, books and papers and yeah. videos and podcasts, yeah. and I mean, it, it is...
1: Have you it, seen my bio? It's a little lacking. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're all in this together. We all have... We wear the contour experience. belt. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yes, oh, exactly. Oh, I love that. <laughs> No, that's awesome, and I want to make sure we mentioned that you, you did a, a GIS workshop in uh, Tunisia of all places, correct?
3: Indeed, uh, some of the most profound, you know, impacts on my own career and life has have been those international experiences. So, you know, encouraging your listeners to pursue those, and even if given the expense of doing that, and I've always had an organization behind me to actually pay. For me to do these things, so admittedly, I'm very blessed that way. But if you can't do that, go to at a conference, go to something that's completely outside of your own wheelhouse, right? Mm. Go to some track that, and I I practice, you know, what I'm preaching here too. So at a recent uh, AAG geography conference, I went to the social work track. You know, I met some new people, I learned some new methods. So there's a there's other ways of kind of going outside the your comfort zone. Certainly, physical travel is one, but also getting to know a group of people that are, you know, in a different field from your own is another way of kind of expanding your horizons. But back on the Tunisia workshop, that was one of the most impactful ones to me and hopefully the attendees too, because it wasn't just the fact that we had a a GIS workshop there and, you know, on a site where, you know, you've got 6,000 years of history with the, you know, the Phoenicians and and Carthage right there and so on. But the neat thing about it was that, and, you know, I'm just pausing because this kind of gets me a little misty-eyed. This is exactly why we do what we do. Yeah. And, and it goes beyond the, the GIS instruction that we were giving instructors. But the people that attended that were instructors from countries that their governments were at odds. Okay, Well, I'll just say that. So we had people from Israel there, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Algeria. And we were all like a mini United Nations. We're mm. in the same room. We're all solving wow. problems. And I just thought, this is a golden moment. I wish mm. we could just replicate this a million times around the world. All of our problems would be not maybe solved, but we'd sort of get along because everybody was just on, you know, commonly focused on I wanted to use GIS in my own university or college or or high school. And here's how I can be empowered to do that. And some of the mm. people had never traveled outside of their country before. So that was another interesting thing about ooh. Here I am, you know, in an international venue and I feel very empowered by that. We had a, a young woman from Yemen had to travel to this site with an escort with a, a older male. I don't know if it was her uncle. He basically sat in the back of the room the whole time. But the neat thing about it was that she felt empowered to do to make changes in her university mm. as an instructor. So it was just a wonderful time of an international community that maybe would have never gotten together had it not been for GIS in this case.
0: Well, I think it's not maybe. I think that it's a certainty mm. that it wouldn't have gotten together without without yeah. GIS.
1: So full disclosure, Sean, yes. every Wednesday when we record a podcast, uh-huh. I view that as a golden moment. Oh, man. I really do. That gets
0: me right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Hello again, geoholics. We want to take a second to thank our good friends at TopoDot. TopoDot is a high-performance application for extracting topography and models from point clouds, calibrated images, and related data. With the TopoDot tools, you can manage point cloud projects of any size and analyze quality and extract features for a wide range of survey and transportation applications such as corridor topographies, GIS, and utility inventories, surface modeling, and other data analysis applications. Topodot differentiates itself from all others. Be sure to listen to our special Geoholics Roadshow episode when we attended the 2022 Topodot Users Conference. To learn more about this awesome company, visit www.topodot.com or contact them for a demo on your own today at 407 716 5886. And be sure to mention that you're a geoholic for the VIP treatment. <coughs> Nick, you've been quiet. Chime in here, buddy.
2: Oh my goodness. I don't know where to start. I, I So I'm one of those people that have been following Joseph for 10 plus years. And so I've seen so many of the things that he's done over the years that I'm starting to get a little misty eyed because it's sort of one of those moments where like, I'm part of a podcast of somebody who I've looked up to, whether he knew I existed or not. Mm. Apparently he, he knows my spouse, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but you, you bring up Tunisia and immediately like the geography brain in me, I'm a huge mm-hmm. world war two buff. I love the history of world war two. And I studied a ton of this, you know, the, the, there was a German military commander, uh, Erwin Rommel and, and the desert fox. Yep. So his escapades were in North Africa. And I, so just immediately the geography guy in me and I'm like, man, I would make a sweet GIS map of where the battles were. And, You know, when I was in college doing classes on that, unfortunately, GIS wasn't quite as easy, right, as it is today. I will say, um, Mm -hmm. Joseph mentioned something earlier about uh, some of the complexities of still doing GIS. Like, it's still hard, um, you know, and and it takes human connection to do it. You know, And, and there's some of the simplest things that are so complex. You know, I was helping a student recently. And we sat there for almost an hour and a half, and it came down to that they had a space in their geodatabase name. And everything was crashing because there was a single space. (laughs) And and that's the sort of thing where, like, you've got to get over the hump. But on the flip side, and not to get Esri uh, drinking the Kool-Aid and real lovey-dovey on Esri, but ESRI has done a really good job – creating what, what's called AGOL, ArcGIS Online. It's a mm. whole suite of pa- like yeah. packaged software online that you only need a few YouTube videos and you have so much power. Mm. And what's neat to me is like where I work at Bad Elf, let's say it, away from the educational side, I come in and I teach people how to use a GPS, right? So that's pretty simple, it's complex, but it's not. But I also get to teach ArcGIS. And so when they're looking at me to learn how to go collect field data, Next thing I teach them is AGOL and I show them something called like the Esri Atlas or all the online later layers that are procured and just available just just 15, 20 years ago we used to hire people and ask, do you know where to find data? Like Mm. today Esri has provided such an easy way to do so much. Now you're not going to solve the epidemiology issues of today necessarily on AGOL, but if you're a somebody at a said company doing business, or you're, you're a family and you're looking to move somewhere and you want to know about the demographics of the neighborhood. You want to know about the roads and all of these things that are now available so much easier online. I don't know, Joseph, if you have anything to talk about that, but I know it's still a struggle to learn GIS. And There's a lot of disparate systems and you've got to mesh these things all together. But AGOL, in my opinion, is just it's a game changer. I mean, you can get into the deep end of GIS pretty easily uh, with what you all have been able to produce over there.
3: Well, a couple things come to mind, Nick. Um, first of all, I mentioned our work with primary and secondary schools. In the past, when we would do this professional development for teachers, they would realize partway through the workshop. Oh, I've got to install software. I have to have a really high end lab. I have to work with my IT person at my school that maybe I don't get along with that well or is you know putting my own requests in. Oh, we'll do that in the spring. And here it is fall semester in in terms of primary and secondary yeah that has been a huge uh, leap forward because any device anytime anywhere and you've got data sets and you've got lessons tied to the the tools and it gives them a nice modest amount or anyone a modest amount there's about 45 analytical tools there in ArcGIS online so they don't get you know 1800 like with arcgis pro but it's enough for them to do the analysis of the whys of where so on that side it's been huge and then also on the higher ed side and I would just argue also for the aspect of the society that we're talking about uh, earlier with the supply chain managers or the health epidemiologists or whoever that wants to use some of this. Yeah, it's 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 been very impactful for them as well. Like, okay, I can, like you said, um, I can with a modest time investment, figure out how to map a spreadsheet, how to make a story map, how to do a survey out in the field with survey one, two, three and collect data, then map it and analyze it and make a dashboard, um, et cetera. There are things that they can do rather quickly to give them these powers and to supplement their analysis with. So I'm right with you. I think that Web GIS, number one, and also data as services, number two, have been incredibly um, uh, transformational. On the data services side, um, you know, I was at all those federal agencies, and, you know, map, nationalmap.gov, um, from the USGS and other data portals. They're all good, but I always dreamed about at these agencies, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had, had, remember Geospatial One Stop, Data.gov, and there, you know, Data.gov's still there. But having the, you were referring to the ArcGIS Living Atlas of the world. To me, that is the closest approximation to a actual, really useful data library. Not perfect, but authoritative, full of metadata that people can just say, okay, I want ecoregions, I want Um, population change in my own neighborhood, et cetera. It's, it's there at, at your fingertips. Now on that note though, because it's a, uh, ArcGIS online is an open platform. There's no, you know, S3 police saying, Hey, or bodyguard saying you can't bouncer a data bouncer. You can't put that data Data bouncer. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's completely open. So that said, one of the passions that I have in the blog that my colleague and I set up after we wrote this Esri Press book on this is being critical of the data. Don't just take that layer because it looks good or, you know, for for some other reason, be critical of it because anybody, everybody is a data producer nowadays. Mm. It's not just the USGS and the Ordnance Survey and the United Nations Environment Program of the world. Everybody creates data now. And so you need to be critical about who created the data, right? When it was created, What scale? How often is it updated? And so on and so forth. Mm. So that's one of my main passions actually uh, is helping people to use data thoughtfully and critically.
1: That's a great point because this goes back to like spatial thinking. I don't know if that's something you guys have already jumped onto, but you know, there's so many people. I mean, people are very intelligent, right? And they find ways to uh, acquire this data that we speak of and either use it or misuse it. There's a lot of inaccurate data out there as well that could give GIS a bad name, right? I think many
3: people, myself included, have a whole series of presentations on good maps, bad maps, you mm. know I've had my share. <laughs> anyway, but good maps and bad maps. What makes a good map? That's awesome. What makes a bad map? Yeah, so uh, maps that you can't understand the legend or they're just plain wrong or there's m- there's also generalization, right? For good reasons. Sometimes imagery, even uh, yeah. I have a whole series of essays on being critical of imagery, you know, where moving mm. vehicles are removed for legitimate reasons. Maybe sure. the DOT wanted to look at the pavement. Maybe they're planning the HOV lane. So there's been things done on the, even the imagery. Mm-hmm. So you, again, like you said, you need to be critical of the data and mm. there are plenty of, and I get pushed back uh, as an educator on mm-hmm. this uh, quite a bit. And that is, well, Joseph... Um, there are misleading maps and some are intentionally misleading. Yes. And I say, you know, maps are representations of reality. They're not reality. They're very useful representations, Mm -hmm. but they're representations nonetheless. So things have been done to them. Generalization, symbology, all these choices are ethical choices and and thoughtful choices that we need to make when we create mapped data. So I'm right (laughs) with you all 100% on this.
2: Please tell me you've read, and I'm sure you've done it so many times, but how to lie with math. Oh, by, yes. By yeah, by that's,
3: re- that's required reading for many, many undergraduates <laughs> and grad uh, students, which is, a, it, it's good that it is. Yeah. yeah it's good that it's a uh, required reading. Actually, I was at the University of Syracuse and I stopped by uh, Dr. Mon uh, desk and uh, left him a note saying, I'm a big fan, he probably gets a lot of those notes on his desk. That's he wasn't funny. in the office when I came by, but yes, absolutely.
0: Oh. All right, so I have a request. I got to get it out there. I know we got we got we're short on time, and uh, we need to do some more stuff. But I I uh, I listened to some some of your stuff. I uh, I watched the uh, TEDx talk, and I really um, you know I'm a I'm a geotech engineer by by trade, I guess, and I use the ArcGIS and the, the especially the the Arizona Hazards Map of. Fissures and mm. earthquakes and flooded yeah. zones. I mean, that's what we use yeah. day in and day out in in our, in our profession. And I know you were a part of USGS. And what I really want, and you can tell me if it's possible or not, but you uh, in your TEDx talk, you, you you showed a map on the not only the location of earthquakes, uh, earthquakes, but the depth of those and a 3D model. And what I really want is to combine the idea of that 3D model. And not necessarily going up, but going down in depth and the soil classification from the USGS maps. And I'm hoping that somehow you guys can take it on to give a geotech engineer like me a GIS platform where I can go in in a 3D model and see soil classification and stratigraphy in a 3D model in any, any place. And tell me that's possible and tell me it's already happening and you're about to launch it.
3: Well, one of the things that uh, we are touching on is what's what's in development and what's coming in the world of uh, geospatial technology. And, you know, we've had 3D visualization for a number of years. Sure, yeah. And, and in education, you folks probably remember the, the, the final week of the course – and most GIS courses was, let's fly through the data. Ooh, and let's hope the graphics card doesn't mm. crash while we fly <laughs> yeah. through our data. <laughs> right. Uh, but now we've got 3D analytics, which makes sense because we've got this 3D world that we're living on, including many of the data sets that you're touching on right now. So um, yes, 3D has always been a challenge because of, I think, mostly because of hardware limitations and graphics card memory and so on and so forth. But now that some of those issues are not issues anymore, that's where you're starting to see the rise of 3D analytics. I'm right with you. I'm I'm always encouraging people to not just look at the geologic data in 3D, but population data, but don't just do it because it exists, because these 3D analytics exist. Do it if it adds value, right? And that's my kind of message with all of the geotechnology tools. Do it if it adds value. Mm. Like for example, you know, visualizations and maps are, are meant to make things clearer so we can actually make decisions based on them. So sometimes I get questions about, hey, can I embed a dashboard inside of a story map and inside of a, you know, X, Y, and Z? You know, it keeps going. Yes, you can, doesn't mean you should. Uh, can I make a, 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 not just a bivariate map, but can I make a map that shows the relationship between five different variables? Well, yes, you can. Is it gonna be clear to your audience? You know, so it's, it comes back to the, what are what are we doing? What tools are we using? And why should we, why are we doing them? Again, it's, you know, there's always a higher goal in GIS, right? And that is to understand our world better and then Mm. to make smarter decisions and then hopefully lead to additional questions and hopefully lead to action. That to me is, Mm. okay, urban greenways or, yeah, uh, hazards management or whatever it is, resilient smart cities. That is the ultimate goal, not I'm going to learn how to buffer, right? Those are the geotechy things are the means to a greater goal, right? So, yeah, we can talk about that. Another thing I'd love to talk, chat with you all about, mm-hmm. maybe after the podcast, is your strong ties and your background to geodesy and surveying. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's that's an area of, as you know, and I'd love to get your advice on this, how to incorporate those concepts and skills into programs in higher education. Because there's they're, they're scarce. There's not very many programs that have that embedding. And yet, as you know, the surveying profession is in dire need mm. of people coming out of universities with this kind of knowledge. So apparently, Joseph, topic, you, has,
0: you have listened to the podcast before because that <laughs> is a common topic. And it sounds like we're starting to already book round two of this conversation because yeah, we sure. can go on for hours just on that.
1: I do a few things yep. I want to get to because I know these are things that Joseph is passionate about as well. Um, talk about the five societal forces and how GIS plays a role in them.
3: Yeah, ever so briefly. I, I, with any list, you could, the five coolest bands of all time, the the five places in Arizona to visit before you die. I mean, they're all a bit subjective, but a, a bit and, subjective. And I, <laughs> I'd love to, I'd love to have a you know a conversation you know with with your uh, community about whether these are what they would list as five forces, but yeah. to me, there are five forces that kind of bring us to a pivotal moment in geospatial thinking and technology. One of them is geo-awareness, where the awareness of the issues that you and I talk about all the time and care about used to be in this sort of small community, but now people are talking about disaster resiliency and climate and, and uh, uh, habitat loss and, and and so on, right? They, they talk about those things. Water, energy, I mean, all the UN SDGs, people, that's the topic of a lot of everyday conversation now. So the awareness is at an all time high, which, which gives us a great opportunity to uh, support the community, but also bring up new people into the community. So I think geo awareness is one of them. Geo enablement is another one I think is important, where people are enabled at least in part to use some of the geotechnology tools. They mm-hmm. might not realize that they are powered by geotechnologies, but they use a fitness app, right? And they, they use a web map to figure out the distance and the direction across campus or to their grandmother's house or, or whatever, right? So they're, they're starting to use some of these tools. And that comes back to what we were talking about earlier, that that these have spread to some of the things that the general public is using. I mean, Uber, et cetera. We could go on with, with the other examples. So geo-enablement is another. Love it. Um, also, I think that we've touched on the other one and that is web GIS, Mm-hmm. So, the geotechnologies have been having advented or evolved into this cloud based system. I think it's even more of a game changer than having your music online. I mean, it's great to have, you know, ABBA's greatest hits anytime, every anywhere. I mean, that was a band. The point is, my wife would love it. Air and, supply. Yeah. And, and you've got, oh, awesome. And then you've got, um, you know, your documents online, right? OneDrive and, and Dropbox. And yeah. so you can collaborate. That's wonderful too. But geotechnologies in the cloud enables people across disciplines to collaborate, not just on the data, as you know, and, but, but on, the, on the methods they can share models. And that's exactly what we need to solve these complex world problems that increasingly affect our everyday lives. Or that, that, that whole collaborative um, situation is enabled by web GIS, even on a simple level of, okay, I'm going to share a web map with you remember how clunky that was mm. and how hard that was in the not too distant past. Like, do I have a physical set of media that I could share with you? And no, oh, it's too big to email and all this other stuff. Joseph, and then
1: real the, quick, let me ask yeah. you a question. Would you, would you put like Google Earth under that category?
3: I would put it under um, the enablement. Enablement? Where,
1: Interesting. Yeah, the okay. geo
3: enablement where people are enabled yeah. to use some of these tools. I mean, people are using, yeah, Google Maps, Google Earth, yeah. m- m- et cetera. Yep. Uh-huh. I would put it under that one. The fourth okay. one I would say is um, citizen science or community science. It, it, being able to go out in this, into the field and collect data when you're not a GIS expert and you don't have uh, a high-end piece of equipment even, and being able to collect data on birds or mm. trees, trees or weather yep. or noise or whatever, right? You were, you were touching on trees earlier. These agencies uh, that we have talked about earlier, they don't have the staff to do these kinds of field surveys. So people, you know, this goes back to the 19th century, right, with the birth of the Audubon Society and people collecting information on birds. So citizen or community science is not new, but the mapping of the data from those field surveys is new and it's very empowering. And I think it's it's given that whole movement a huge boost. Um, and then the fifth one I would say is storytelling with maps. I mean, maps have always been used to tell stories, right? For thousands of years, Ali Drisi, you know, we're talking about Tunisia. Um, Al-Adrisi's map from the 1100s on two big plates of silver, Babylonian Mm. clay tablets, right? Maps have always been very compelling ways of telling a story. But now with story maps as one manifestation, I mean, there are over 4 million story maps and that's just ArcGIS story maps. There's all kinds Mm, of visualizations uh, that that, that sort of blend maps and visualizations. And there's some debate, hey, is this a map or is this a visualization? I don't really care. As long as it um, helps people understand something better, I'm all for it. Mm. Uh, but but storytelling with maps has has really taken root as a viable means of people. Hey, I still use Prezi, PowerPoint, uh, you know, video. I mean, I've got 5,000 videos. I'm very a uh, firm believer in videos. But story maps increasingly are not just for me and the geospatial community, but other people are, okay, I'm going to present my my fourth quarter company goals with a story map, or I'm going to give my, my CV out to a prospective employer as a story map, or, you know, so many other purposes that people are finding for, for these. And, you know, sure, we see some story maps that have no actual map in them. They're all videos and photos, but many of them actually have some sort of interactive map or an interactive chart in them. So I think that that's, also impacting people that maps are just becoming so commonplace again be critical of them but i would say storytelling with maps is the fifth force
1: That's good stuff. Those are not the five societal forces I thought he was going to talk about. (laughs) But as it pertains to GIS, they all make perfect sense. Oh, yeah. And it relates so much to everyday life. Absolutely. No question. No question. So our our good friend, um, uh, Keith Massback, he had a quote, and we've mentioned it probably Mm -hmm. half a dozen times at least since he's been on the show. He says, we are in a geospatial moment. How do you react to that quote, Joseph?
3: Well, I love it.
1: I think that touches
3: on what we were just chatting about a moment ago. And that is these, these forces that are bringing us to a key moment. Um, I would say that people are realizing that all of the 21st century complex problems, including the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, are all spatial yep. um, and they all are requiring people to work in a, in a different way across disciplines and across scales. I think it's it's partly related to th- the need in society to look at things holistically and so I tell students hey specialize be a soil scientist be a traffic you know engineer here here but don't don't lose the holistic perspective which we critically need you know if this variable is altered it's going to affect this over here so the whole interconnection of the anthropos- anthroposphere the the human sphere, the the biosphere, the lithosphere, the atmosphere, you know, all those spheres interconnecting that the holistic view of the earth. Um, I think that that's important going forward, but yeah, the geospatial moment is I think an instructive way of, of, of framing things. And I always think, okay, how can we translate that? That geospatial and the geographic perspective matter, even if you're, over in business or in engineering or in health or in data data science and in other disciplines inside and outside of academia? How do we translate that message? Because there's still this sort of uh, perplexing, oh, the geo thing, yeah, that's over across campus. That's not me, over in business. Well, don't you teach about location? Well, yeah, but I don't, the GIS thing, that's over there. Well, but mm. look, you know, so it, there's still a challenge in sharing the message that that spatial thinking actually matters in all aspects of society and therefore should matter in all aspects of, aspects of education.
1: So how hard is it to inject that concept into all these other um, you know, educational outlets? It's got to be a bit of a challenge, correct?
3: Well, as an indication of the challenge, sure. Uh, our education team here at ESRI, and we're only one of you know, many organizations that are involved with promoting and supporting this. But we've been around since 1992. So, you would think, Mm. oh, well, Joseph, that was, you know, decades ago. Surely all schools and all universities are embracing this in every discipline. No. No. There are lots of pressures and there's lots of challenges in education and education is a big ship, right? So, it's little rudder Mm. turns
1: at a time to
3: steer. Yep. Yep. And also, to be honest, I never say to educators, it's easy to teach and learn with GIS. It isn't. Teaching and learning is hard for one thing. I have so much respect for instructors at all levels. I know you guys do too. And the, the, the double challenge is an instructor has to be at least somewhat knowledgeable about a rapidly evolving set of tools and perspectives that GIS brings, but they also have to know how to teach with it. And to be comfortable teaching with inquiry to be honest, it's easier to hand out a bunch of worksheets. It's easier mm. to lecture. It's easier to just do standardized tests. This stuff is, I think it's worth it, but it is more challenging than a traditional way of going about education. That's the main challenge.
1: But maps are so much easier to understand. Clearly.
2: Right? Yes. I don't know. I saw that commercial on TV recently where the dad is sitting with the kid and he's like, oh, my kid's going to realize I can't read a map. Have you seen this? Yeah. it's uh, the, the one not from Not Sonic. everybody can,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we must watch different shows because I haven't seen that one. Well,
3: I saw it online. Someone (laughs) sent it to me. But, yes, but, you know, I have twinges about that because Mm, just for folks that haven't seen that, it goes back to what the traditional, hey, that's a category in in Jeopardy, geography. It's what's the biggest lake in Russia, you know, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it starts with a B.
3: It's, it's. The, the facts name, the name and, of it, and yes. memorization, you know, they do have their place. Uh, it's it's important to, you know, to not we're not tossing all of the traditional ways of learning and knowing out the window, but we're still way too much uh, placing emphasis on yep. memorizing and regurgitation for the test. Yep. And then I've got to erase that when I mean, we've all been there, right? You got to erase that part of your brain because you got to prepare for the next exam. Right. And I I would just submit that that's that's not the model of success for mm. empowering future decision makers in our educational system. We could well, have a whole podcast on that, but, but does yes that also then point.
0: put the complete emphasis on me having a good internet signal on my phone at the time? So mm. I can know where to look the data up. I mean, is there, is there Ooh. somewhere in between? There are where- some
3: technological challenges. Sure. And, and definitely internet connectivity is one of them as wonderful it is, as it is to have these data services and so on. Uh, the reality as you're touching on is, okay, maybe I don't have my students work with every single water well in North America. Maybe (laughs) the small study area (laughs) is sufficient. So, you know, the message to instructors is, you know, you got to, you got to manage the data and that's a good lesson for of course, students going forward as well. But sure, there are challenges and, you know, been 2020 when a lot of instructors said, Hey, I've got to teach online. I've never taught online before. I never had to. Many instructors were in that situation, you know, when the pandemic hit. So, Mm. okay this lesson that you were teaching okay now you've got to figure one of them was we were working with a, uh, a school of business and they had something like 100 tessellations and they had 90 variables in every one of those tessellations that they were mm. creating for this lesson with students and we said okay that's not going to work well when all the students are dispersed to far points around the globe and working in their home offices right. you know, basically their dorm rooms or their apartment buildings okay what can you do that will accomplish some of your same goals in that lesson but it's a smaller data set smaller variables so they had to be creative and instructors are wonderfully creative people uh, but yes there are there are challenges fortunately many of the modern GIS tools you're able to take offline mm-hmm. and collect yeah. data into them and do some analysis right. but sure you're touching on the fact that yeah there are some still technical challenges that are different in than the than the tech challenges we've had in the past, but they are very real. And I definitely well, uh, can uh, it's understand. It's like when you,
0: when you map a destination and you know you're going to go through some some weird parts and some mountains, it gives you the option. You want to download this so you have it, okay, all right, I'll download just this map. I don't need to be able to zoom to Germany while I'm going through the mountains of rural Arizona to be able to get there. So yeah. I definitely see see that.
1: I, I, I got something here. I think I have something here. Um, would it be crazy to say or to think that this younger generation, because they've you know grown up with cell phones in their hands and video games and everything like that, they learn more effectively – uh, visually or graphically versus through written word? That
3: is one of the appeals of geot- geospatial technology as a teaching and mm. instructional tool, definitely, is that maps give us a lot of information in a short amount of space, mm. right? One of the things that you probably show, I show in many workshops and courses is your spreadsheet, you've got data in it, and then you've got this mapped. What's the difference? What can you infer from this versus this? I mean, it's, you know, the whole picture's worth a thousand words, map's worth a thousand pictures, that kind of analogy. Oh, yeah. I, think
0: I heard right that Wrong before. here.
3: Yep. From Indeed. this guy. <laughs> so, absolutely. That's one of the appeals. But also, it's a bit of a disadvantage if people just think GIS equals maps, right? Yeah. yeah. Maps are tools in a larger context.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one last question. I mean, we got to get out of here pretty quickly, but I do have one other question uh, that I want to allow you the opportunity to talk about. And that is the, the skill set that today's, you know, GIS or geospatial professional needs to have to be successful. What does that look like to you?
3: Uh, great question. I would say just again, in fairness to the audience, listening to this, I'll keep it very brief, but I think the number one important skill is to ask questions, ask good mm. questions. Again, circling back to what we were talking about in education earlier, we're not focusing on that. We ask questions, most instructors ask questions on the test. They don't foster the whole, that's, that's what's great about yeah. GIS as a teaching tool. Well, what if we change the variable or what if we looked at this area versus that area? Or what if we made a 3D scene instead of a 2d map you know it's it's the what if questions that gis is great at answering and as long as you've got that data set at your fingertips there it's a it's an inquiry driven mm. technology you're asking questions you're gathering data you're doing analysis i mean all the standard stuff that we know but yeah. it's really comes down to asking questions and ask questions that your employer's not even asking you Ooh.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And if you're
3: a student, ask questions that your instructor's not even asking you, because that you know that builds tenacity. You're you're tenacious about solving problems. You're tenacious about learning tools that'll help you solve problems, and so on. So I think asking questions is the first one, and the second one touches on what we were talking about before: being skilled at working with a large variety of data and and being critical of it, not just accepting it because it looks good or it. Mm. you know, for various other reasons, but really being critical of data going forward, not just map data, but all data, but we're focusing on geospatial data here. And then I would say third, uh, for those folks in in the audience that really need to have a deep knowledge of GIS, we talked about the sort of, everybody in society needs to have some knowledge of GIS. Even if they don't call it GIS, maybe they call it location analytics or health informatics or whatever, but it's some sort of spatial set of tools. But there are certain people that need to have a deep knowledge of this. They need to know the coding behind all the web maps and, and systems architecture and so on and so forth. Uh, know your geospatial foundations. And that comes back to what you folks are promoting with your mm-hmm. geodesy, your geodetic engineering, your,
0: your GPS, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's you're important. You're hitting the heart of this audience, and especially as, uh, yeah.
3: as, as more and more things need to be packed into curricula as we go forward, I don't want that foundational stuff to be lost. So I think that's an important one. Um, and I, I, I guess I would conclude with with being uh, flexible, uh, being a lifelong learner. Uh, you know those sorts of of life skills as we go forward. That this is a very humbling kind of uh, field right I have people coming up behind me maybe you folks can relate hey Joseph why are you doing it that way you should do it this way because it's more efficient and uh, it'll help you get your your problem solved you know and here I've been using GIS for you know decades but oh thanks I didn't realize that so you know having that whole attitude of you're going to learn from people that have been using GIS for six months that's good Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. One thing you said there real quick, you said, uh, always keep asking questions. And so far, Mm -hmm. being experienced in all this, one question that is always asked is, can GIS do that? And I still have yet to hear the answer that no, it can't. Every single time, it's like, yeah, yeah, it can do that. You're right. And and that, to me, is the most amazing thing.
1: You know what? Another thing that that what Joseph just said made me think about, it's like these younger folks that are graduating college, come out of college, <laughs> the, like the opportunity. the,
0: oppor- the yeah, I, I know exactly where you're going. Uh, to. Yeah, it's like, like, yeah, like, of course it can do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's amazing to me. And, and we're the mean, old guys saying like, are you sure it can? They're like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure. it can. And you can't stunt the growth. That's the thing. Yeah, you cannot exactly. stunt that growth.
0: Absolutely. No, you literally
2: I mean, just type it into chat GPT and now it tells you all about it. You yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Chat GPT. Thank God for that. It's a lifesaver. <laughs> I would say also, you know,
3: the, the median age, I don't have any hard data behind this, but maybe you can relate. The median age of at a conference that's geospatial related has Ooh. declined, I'd say, Ooh. at least by 10 years since I've been attending wow. GIS events in, in the 1990s. I mean, think, I think it was about 40 then. And I think it's about 30. Yeah, yeah well, I was just at AGU last week, the American Geophysical Union, big science conference. You no, know, NASA was there, NOAA, NCAR, et cetera. And yeah. there are a lot of twenty-somethings that are undergrads, just out of grad school, et cetera, yeah. and they're very bright, yes. very motivated, and it's very much of an encouragement. Well, we got to so, go there you know, and the steal some guys for hands. the
0: for the survey department. Well, yeah, guys. but it's like
1: that generation. They again, they have to be challenged all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it's incredible the the amount of intelligence that these uh these younger folks have. It blows my mind. It
0: really all does. Right. All right, I know these guys got to get out of here, Kent. No, this is your question, buddy. All right, last question before we go. We ask everybody, Joseph, do you have a mantra that you live by?
3: First, this is very common in the geospatial community, but be a geo-mentor, be a mentor to others, be a helper to others, be an encouragement to others. But I also would challenge people listening to this to not be hesitant on the other side of things. I think we're a little bit too hesitant on this so I'm going to lay this out there. And that is don't be afraid to ask for someone to mentor you, go up to someone that you respect, maybe a couple people, someone in government, someone in nonprofit, et cetera, and say, Hey, you know, I, I would love to have you be willing to, to mentor me occasionally. Um, so I would just lay that out there as
1: well. Ah, that's good stuff. Joseph, one thing I want to add to that, I agree with you 150%. I had a younger surveyor reach out to me via Facebook asking me to mentor them. And first of all, it made me feel incredible. Old, old. And old, old, that too. But and yeah. old, but, yeah. but, but, but at the same time, it's like, first of all, that person took the initiative to do that. Yeah. That... Like, I already I have like, more
0: respect for yeah. that guy than the person he's asking just because they Wait, could, Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. I, I don't even know that guy, but <laughs> he, he had enough initiative to ask you it's for help. All right. though, right? Versus, yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I, I am just trying to yeah.
1: back up exactly what Joseph just said. You know, if you're in that position and you want somebody specifically to mentor you, reach out to them. I mean, God, the power of social media right now, it's like. There's no hesitation. There's no hesitation, and it's mm-hmm. going to pay dividends both ways on the mentee side and on the mentor side.
0: Well, and, and for for the profession and everything else that goes with it,
1: no question. Hey, Doctor Nick, you got any uh, final words before we uh, scoot out of here?
2: Just have to agree again. I don't think I've ever come up to somebody that's done GIS, ask a question, ask for a favor, ask their opinion, ask for a sub, ask for anything. They're just so willing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna echo yeah. what Joseph said. Find somebody to latch on to if you're new in this industry. Shoot, if you're old in the industry, it, it, it changes so much. It, there's paradigm shifts happening all the time. And so just stick, stay involved. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to have you back, Joseph. So, um, I you know what I'll finish with? Usually, when we talk GIS, I'm the person who just rambles and I talk way too much. But on this episode, I yes. got to just listen. Everything oh. you said, Joseph, was spot <laughs> on. <off. laughs> I'm just, I'm just happy. This is great. Thanks, y'all.
1: Great way to close it out, Nick. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, great stuff, Joseph. Before we let you out of here, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to get out there?
3: Well, I, I just wish you all the best success in the future. Truly, we're all in this together. We, we need each other, and I'm, I'm right with Nick. Yes. I have never met anybody in the geospatial community that has. I'm not going to share this had that attitude no and that's what I think we'll remember mm. when we're you know someday I don't know if GIS people ever really retire we're always thinking spatially but but someday when we're not working zillions of hours, we'll think about the community. We won't make necessarily think about the the process that the, the the tools that we're running you know here in December 2022 but we will remember the community and I think that's that's the heartening and encouraging thing is that this community is very passionate and you know a lot of people, say they want to change the world, want to change the world, this community is actually doing it, right? They're the ones (laughs) building a more resilient, sustainable future. They're really doing it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right before our very eyes. Absolutely. No question. Well, hey, Joseph, thank you so much. Uh, It's been our pleasure to have you uh, spend this time with us. And uh, my goodness, anything else, Sean?
0: Oh, man, I could go on forever, but good stuff so much stuff let's just schedule part two with joseph and we will we'll, do that we'll finish all the un, 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 unanswered questions
1: no question uh, no question we'll do that without a doubt you thanks right? folks
3: be spatial <laughs> love it be
1: spatial i love it all right adding value making friends another perfect example i consider joseph a new friend Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if anyone would like to be a guest on a future show or have any uh, suggestions as far as topics, shoot us an email at info at Lee Bryce, Santa was my Uber driver. Available everywhere. Until next time, everyone. Archaeology to zoology.
0: A to Z, baby.
1: We're always thinking spatially. Be safe and healthy, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, agsgps.com, Airworks, airworks airworks.io, badelf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, productions (ExtremeAerialProductions.com) get kids into survey get kids into survey.com. mentoring mondays mentoring Monson engineering monsonengineing.com nettleman LC prep LCprep.com Northstar surveying northstarsurveying.com, Prostar corporation prostarcorp.com safety apparel safetyapparel.us topo new.certainty3d.com, and finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.